0: The story of Moses is filled with many twists and turns, highs and lows, but one thing that is always evident throughout the story is God's hand. The hope for this series is that you will see no matter who you are, where you come from, or what you have done, God still has a purpose and plan for your life, and will use you if you let him. So, let's get into Moses. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first time guests? We're so glad to have you with us, both online as well as right here in the room. Well, I'm excited to get back to Moses. You guys, we're on part five today of a series we've been doing. If you're a guest here, uh, the good news is you can catch up online or on the app if you enjoy what you hear today. Uh, We're looking at six episodes in Moses's life, and that means we've got one more to go next week. What we've been doing throughout the series, we've been giving each part a title of an emotion or an experience that Moses is having because Moses is so relatable. We want people to be able to look and say, I want to listen to that one because that's where I am right now. If you remember part one, we called it frustrated and disillusioned, and I think every one of us said, yep, been there, done that. Most of us actually were saying, like, I might be there right now, and then we went to part two, and we talked about how he was reluctant, reluctant to do something very challenging that God wanted him to do and to bring into his life, and I think we all could say, yep, I've had a moment where I haven't said yes to God very quickly, and then came part three where we discovered that he was surrendered. He finally surrendered to God. And I don't know if we've all gotten to a place where we can say, I'm, I'm there, but that would be my hope, is that every one of us at some point could say, yes, I have finally surrendered to something that God wants from me and something God wants from my life. In part four, we said that he was tested. And uh, if you don't realize that you've been there, you will be there again, you're gonna wanna go hear that message. So today we're gonna talk about transformed. That's our big word today. Moses' life was Transformed. And whenever you hear that word, I think what comes to mind for every one of us is some kind of a process where we are completely different at the end than we were at the beginning. Something has changed. So let me ask you a question as we start today. If you were to think of your own life and you were to look back, what would you say has transformed you the most? What have you been through that has changed you more than anything? Some of us would say marriage. Some of you would say a military deployment. Some would say college. Some would say a hard season in life, a sickness, having children. I mean, we've all got a different answer, right? When I think of my life, there's many things. I'll just go with marriage for the fun of it. I think one of the most transforming things for me has been marriage. I've been married now just over 26 years. And if you knew me 26 years ago, you would pray for my wife every day. (laughs) I was a rather challenging person. I think I can honestly say 26 years ago, I was incredibly selfish. I was very harsh with my words. Um, Whatever I felt, I said, and if you didn't like it, that was your problem. And I thought the best way to be true to myself was to express what I felt in the clearest words possible. Yeah. I didn't have much sympathy for people who were different from me because I figured anybody different from me was just messed up in the assembly line somehow. But now that I've been married 26 years, I'm just truly an amazing person. You're not aware my wife is in Eastern Europe visiting her family and I'm gonna tell that story exactly like that all weekend long. (laughs) She's not here to do anything about it. The real question that you need to ask yourself and answer is if you could just snap your fingers and be transformed in, in some way, any area of your life, something that frustrates you about yourself, about where you are, what would it be? It turns out there's actually a secret having that kind of transformation in your life, and no surprise, Moses today is going to be the one to show us that. Because I think Moses went through one of the most amazing transformations that you could see in human history. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to go all the way back to kind of the beginning of a story in Exodus chapter three today, as we look at the secret to an incredible life transformation. And this is where Moses is at the burning bush. So chapter three, verse two. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Jump to verse six. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then notice what Moses did when he first met God. He hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to see God. he backed up and he started looking at the sand, saying, no, no. I don't want to see you. But now fast forward a little bit in his life, really not too far down the road. And if you're following along, you have to jump all the way to chapter 33, verse 17. And so the Lord said to Moses, you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And Moses' response to God talking this time, please show me your glory. Hey God, would you show me your glory? And you gotta understand at this point, Moses is fully aware that God does not have a physical body. So when he says, show me your glory, what he actually means is show me you. Let me see more of you. Let me see something I haven't seen. Let me see your splendor. Let me see you. This is a man who very short while ago was saying no and hiding his face to the sand. And now he's saying, I've seen some, I wanna see more. And it will go on, Moses will go on, to be known as the man who got to see God. Exodus 33, 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. And catch this part. As a man speaks to his friend. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. And then God says this about Moses. He says, with him I speak face to face. Clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Again, God has no physical form, God is spirit. So what this means is that God did reveal himself in some way that gave Moses something to actually see. There was some sort of representation. And this is amazing, if you think about this, to go from someone who wanted to avoid seeing God to someone who then begged to see more of God to someone who is now known in history as the man who saw God more than any other. I don't know about you, but that's definitely what I call transformation. Pretty serious one, right? Matter of fact, if we think back over Moses' life, I think everything about Moses was transformed because of his relationship with God. I mean, here is a man who didn't want to surrender to God but then finally said, okay, God, I'll do what you say. Here is a man who found his purpose and his meaning for life after spending 40 years hiding in a foreign country hoping no one could figure him out or find him out as he hid as a shepherd, the last thing anybody would look for. That's transformation. That's transformation. This is a man who finally fulfilled his calling after running away from it 40 years earlier. That's transformation. This is a man who said, I will be the instrument for God to display his power upon the earth. That is transformation. And it all came from his relationship with God. But before I go any further, I want to, obviously, we're going to talk about that more. Before I go any further, some of your heads are spinning, and so I want to stop and just have a moment here, because uh, one of the things we love to do at Grace Life is to encourage everybody to read their Bible every year, and so at the beginning of the year, we'll say, hey, you know, join the one-year reading Bible plan, and sure enough, it's, it's early in the first quarter of the year that I get a lot of people coming to me in the lobby saying, Pastor, i got a question. So this guy Moses, this guy Moses saw God face to face, but the Bible tells us that, that God doesn't have a face. And then there's this strange verse where God says, if you see my face, you shall die. So I'm really confused, can you help me out? All right, so I'm gonna help everybody out. And uh, as I always offer here at Grace Life, if you ever learn anything in the sermons and you make a lot of money on Jeopardy, you do have to share what you make. So the words face to face, it's what we call an idiom. And what that means is that is a phrase of words that take on a meaning that's different from the literal meaning of the words themselves. Everybody with me so far? So it's like when you say, I saw the light. What you mean by I saw the light is you had a sudden understanding of something you didn't have before. And the truth is it can take place in complete darkness that has nothing to do with light. Like you may have seen the light that you should have turned on the light when you tried to walk down the hallway in the dark and broke your toe, right? You know what I'm saying? You don't have to see a light to have seen the light. So this phrase that God and Moses spoke face to face, it's not saying that God has an actual face. Nor is it saying that God even took the form and showed Moses the face and they sat like this looking at each other. No, what it means is that Moses saw something of God in such an intimate relationship that it could be described as the true nature of each other seeing face to face. And don't miss this part. Face to face as a man speaks to his friend. What that means for Moses, and this is just the coolest part to me, What that means for Moses is when Moses talked to his brother Aaron, who was a human, and then when Moses went and talked to God, it was just as real an experience for him. It was not less than. He spoke face-to-face to to God as a man speaks to his friend. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not there yet. And anybody who is there gets to stay around and preach the next service. Because when I talk to Kent, man, that is as real as it can be. Like he's right there in front of me. And I can see him if he cries. I can see him if he laughs. I mean, whatever. I can shake his hand if I want to, but when I go and I pray to God, I'm gonna be honest, it's still just a little more mysterious. God is spirit. There's still a little bit of like distance in a way. Not spiritual distance, not relational distance. It's just, for me, it has yet to be as real in the spirit as it is in the natural. And what that phrase meant for Moses is is they were one and the same. It was as real for him to meet with God as it was to meet with a human. And then at times, God even did give himself a way to be seen by Moses' eyes. He said he holds the form of the Lord. We don't know what that was because obviously there's a whole other encounter where he says, you can't see me fully, but I'll show you a little of me. What does that mean, God? What does that even look like? How do you see a little bit of a revelation of something that doesn't have a body in the first place? Right? I mean, anybody there? So, The bottom line is this. Moses had an intimate understanding of God that was different from what any other human got to experience. It was so real that it was the same as if there was a human, and at times he even had something that he could see with his eyes. All right, so back to where you and I are today and why this matters to us. Because from a man who was afraid to see God to a man who begged to see more of God to the man who saw more of God than any other. What led to that? That's the question we need to ask because the answer is the kind of stuff we need in our lives. Y'all with me on that one? That's what we need in our lives. Whatever brings about that kind of transformation and those kinds of results, that's what we need. And so I'm gonna show you what happened in Moses' story. There are three things that Moses experienced with God that I believe led to that kind of transformation. The first one is that Moses actually saw God's power. He saw God's power demonstrated in his life and, in the world around him, it started with a burning bush that had a voice coming from heaven out of it. Then he was followed by the staff. God said, throw your stick on the ground, the staff that you, you, you chased the sheep with. And throw that on the ground and then pick it back up. Throw it on the ground, it's going to turn into a snake. Now pick up the snake and it's back to a staff. Stick your hand in your cloak and it's going to be leprous. Put it back in and now it's healed. He has seen God's power. And then he goes off to Egypt and he sees the, the ten plagues carried out at God's decree. Then he walks up to the Red Sea, leading the Israelites, and there's nowhere to go except God parts the waters. And on top of that, God turns the ground dry, miraculously in front of him. And then he sees the appearance of God at Mount Sinai we read about in part four last week where this entire mountain is consumed in, in smoke and fire and thunder and lightning and the ground is shaking. There's a trumpet sound coming from somewhere, but there's no trumpet player. And there's the voice of God, but there's no physical God there to speak. He is seeing God's power time and time again. And then God's people, man, they are the whiniest people ever. And, and they, they said, we're out here and we don't have any food. And God says, fine, I'll give you bread. I'll give you bread. It's just going to cover the ground. Every morning when we get up, there'll be bread. I used to cover the ground with sand. I made sand. I can make bread. No big deal for me. Sand, bread, either one. And so he gives them something called manna. You guys heard of manna? That's, that's what that was. And then they said, well, you know, we're tired of all this bread. Unlimited bread, but it's just bread. So then God says, okay, I'll give you birds too. After he had another little conversation with them. And then he gave them quail. And then they said, well, with all this bread and all this meat, we're thirsty, and now we're starving to death, and now we're thirsting to death. And God says, okay, I'll give you water from a rock. And he tells Moses, hit the rock, and then water comes out. At this point, Moses is like, wow. I mean, can you just imagine seeing God's power like that time and time again? Because when you see God's power, your faith increases. You ever thought about that? Your faith in God increases. When you see God's power move, you know you are El Shaddai. You are God Almighty. And it means you are more likely to trust him tomorrow. It also means you are more likely to obey him tomorrow because you've seen his might and his power. But you see, we have a problem. Our problem with seeing God's power, it's not that we haven't seen it. Matter of fact, I would... I would argue with you if you disagree that we've all seen God's power in our lives, every single one of us. The problem is sometimes we don't give God credit. We've seen God move, but we don't say that was God. And then there are times we've seen God move and we do say it was God, but we're not always good at remembering. Seeing is not the same as remembering. Y'all know that's why we sang that song earlier. Not specifically like I didn't tell them to sing it, but it's why we sing the song in general. All my life you have been good. Because we have to remind ourselves of the things God has done. Just for yourself for a moment, think of the biggest thing that you ever put before God. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this more than anything else you've ever done in my life. What has God done in your life that has been so tremendous? And then the question I'd ask is, do you remember that daily? Do you remind yourself daily of what you've seen God do? Do you put it in your journal? And do you start, every day we're going, don't forget who our God is. Don't, don't forget what he's done for us, for me. Don't forget. See, I personally think Moses, as he was dealing with these whiny little people, <clears throat> I need bread, I need birds, I need water. I wish we had just died in Egypt. I think Moses was constantly going, hey, don't forget the Red Sea. You Remember when y'all walked across and the waters were standing high and the ground was dry? Don't forget that. Come on, y'all. Don't, don't get distracted because you're a little hungry. Okay, you're a little hungry. Don't forget the manna. Okay, you want protein, don't forget the quail. Okay, I mean, come on, don't forget. I think he was constantly just reminding people that he had seen the power of God, and I think we don't do that enough. Way too many times we feel like we've been abandoned and God never shows up. And the truth is, he's showing up all the time. We're just not giving him credit. Do you give him credit for the tiniest stuff? So as I told you, my wife is in Eastern Europe visiting her family, and she left me here with three kids, two cats, and a dog. I like exactly half of those. (laughs) I'll let you figure it out. (laughs) But the the cats kinda have a habit of wanting to play outside, which is normally okay, because my wife will spend time at home, they'll get to play an hour or so, they'll come back later. But one cat decided he didn't wanna play in the backyard anymore this week, and so as we open the door to leave, he goes out the front yard and goes the direction he's never gone. A full day, there's no cat to be seen anywhere. Now the truth is, I don't really care. <laughs> Just being honest. But after a day, I get a text message from my wife on the other side of the globe that says, is the cat back? And it occurs to me at some point, she's going to be back and expect me to have found her cat. And so that's not going to go very well. The other thing that occurred to me is that this is the favored cat, the one that sleeps on my little girl's bed every night. So an angry wife and a week and a sad daughter right now, I thought, yeah, I don't need that. So I'm sitting at the dinner table and I just said, hey, God, would you bring that cat back? <laughs> don't miss this. Literally within 60 seconds, the cat is crying at the door. And I went, look, everybody, the cat's back. And then I went and started checking email and I promise you, God said, did you notice that? I said, what? Said I answered your prayer. I went. Ah, oh. see, I just thought the cat came back. How many times does God move in our lives that we don't even say thank you, God? I mean, I have a cat. I'm struggling on the thank you, God part. But <laughs> second thing that Moses went through, he met with God. He actually met with God. That means he spent time with God. His first encounter at the burning bush, God speaks to him, he's afraid. But then right after that, he's like, oh, I know this guy, I know this God. I'm gonna keep talking. So he goes back to Egypt. He would talk to God They'd have a conversation. God would tell him what to say to Pharaoh. He goes and talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh would say something back. Say, talk to your God for me. He'd go, okay, God, let's have another conversation. It, it became a normal part of his life to actually get away and talk to God. Hey, God, I got to go talk to Pharaoh. Let's see, what do you want me to say to Pharaoh today? Because it really, all it, it's just you. I just need to know what you want to say. I'm just a messenger. And and oh, hey, God, here's what Pharaoh said. Hey, let's talk, you know. And, and he's talking about how to lead the people. And here's what Moses said. Here's what Aaron said. You know, here's what's going on. He just constantly met with God. And then when he led them out of Egypt, now he's going up on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Just him and God, just hanging out, just talking, having an amazing experience. Then later, they would get instructions to build a place for God's presence called the tabernacle. And, and there was this tent of meeting. And it tells us that Moses would just go and sit in the tent. And the pillar of cloud that represented God would just come and surround it and engulf it. And God would, Moses and God would just be there, just hanging out together. See, here's what we've got to understand. Truth. There is no substitute for time spent together. Or get that? Married people? Just because you're married, you can't stop it. Matter of fact, that's one of the things that affects our marriage. We spent time together dating, and then we just run a household together married. Look, it doesn't matter if we're talking about humans or if we're talking about God. There is no substitute for time spent together. I've told you, I think once or so before, randomly. I've I've really just been asking God for an encounter, an experience with Him that is unlike anything I've ever had before. Something that is supernatural, something that is undeniable, something that would just blow my mind. And I've had some great encounters with God, and I feel like I can talk to God all the time, and I do. And that that's I, I want something new and more and different. And then as I was studying for all of this series on Moses, I saw something I'd never seen before. You know how sometimes you just read the Bible so fast, you miss little details? So check this out. Because what I'm asking for is the kind of experiences that Moses got to have. And then I realized what Moses had to do. So after the part we saw last week where God's revealing the 10 commandments and the mountain shaking and everything, and after he talks to the people, he says, hey Moses, come on up the mountain, let's hang out for a little bit. And so Moses goes up the mountain by himself, And here's what I had never paid attention to before. As Moses goes up on the side of the mountain and he sits down and he waits to meet with God, God doesn't speak for six days. It wasn't until the seventh day that God said, hey Moses, for six days. Now you gotta remember that this cloud, I'm sorry, this mountain has been engulfed in a cloud. There's, there's this cloud and there's this smoke and there was fire and there was everything. And so Moses is sitting on the side of this mountain near the top, he doesn't even have like an awesome view. He doesn't even get to see a sunrise or a sunset or anything beautiful. It's not like a cabin in the mountains when you go. He's just sitting there in a fog storm. He doesn't have Netflix. He doesn't have a book to read. He probably didn't take much food he didn't take water, there's not a water source. He made I mean, maybe he took a little bit for six days. He goes up on the mountain and he sits down. I made y'all uncomfortable. I didn't even get sixty seconds. Six days. And the truth is I don't think I could do that. I don't think that I could rent an Airbnb, go sit down for six days. I just don't think I could do it. And that might explain why I have yet to be on top of a mountain with the presence of God. But the point that I wanna make for you and me today is we don't have to climb a mountain and wait six days to meet with our God, we don't. You see, first of all, God's plan has always been to be with his children, to dwell with his children and to speak to his children. God is talking. We just might not be listening. He wants to have an active relationship with you. And the good news is because Jesus came and he died on the cross after living a perfect life, what he has done is he has removed every barrier that stands between you and your God. He has made us righteous by his blood. So anything that would hinder that relationship is removed by Jesus if he is your king. And that means we're filled with the spirit, which means literally God is right here. We don't have to go anywhere to find him. He's right here. And so what that means is we too had a first moment when we're like, okay, God, wow, you're real. You're there. Oh my gosh, my heart's beating faster. That was your burning bush moment. And now do you keep talking? See, from then on, it just became a normal part of Moses' life. Wow, man, I heard that God through the burning bush. I'm just going to keep talking. That was cool. I'm just going to assume that we're going to keep talking. And he did. And so the question for us is, are we constantly meeting with God? Because we can. We can. Nothing stands in the way. And there is absolutely no substitute for time spent together. We can meet with God. We should meet with God. Because it is everything that you and I want. Amen? Amen. Third thing, the one that I'm most excited to talk about today, is that he knew God. Moses knew God. He saw God's power, he met with God, and he came to know God. And this is more than knowing about God. Matter of fact, in the Greek language and in scripture, there are two types of, of knowledge. There's informational knowledge, like it'll be hot and humid today in Colombia. You don't even have to be genius. You're in Colombia. It's going to be humid and hot most every single day, right? OK, so here's the deal. That's informational knowledge. The sky is blue, that, gray, that wall is gray. But Moses knew God in the other way. It's relational knowledge. He started out with some informational knowledge. Oh my goodness, this is an all-powerful God. Oh my goodness, there's something here I don't understand yet. But what happened over time is that Moses actually began to know God relationally. Some of us struggle here. Some of us think that if we know about God informationally, that that's all there is. And we stop. We don't go any further. So we listen to a pastor talk to us. Maybe we listen to a podcast. Maybe we read a Christian book. And we may know a lot about God. The question is, do you know God? Do you have a personal, relational knowledge of who your God actually is that grounds you when everything is going crazy around you? See, that's the secret and that's what we're after. So let me ask you a question. Who wants to know God as deeply as possible? Who wants to know God as deeply as possible? That was an easy question. Can I tell you the truth? I'm about to show you what Moses figured out. And you're not gonna wanna see this one. Moses figured out how to know God. And it's something that our world really struggles with. Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. Remember, God told Moses, you have found favor in my sight. Moses says, well now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, And please, show me now your ways. Show me your ways that I may know you. If you show me your ways, I will actually know who you are. You see, we have a struggle in our world today. We try to separate God's ways from God himself. We debate some of them that we don't like. We nitpick over them. We even write some of them out. Some people take markers and draw lines to them. Y'all know Thomas Jefferson created his own version of this. He literally just cut out parts and glued back together what he wanted. You can actually get a Jeffersonian Bible. What he missed out on was all the stuff that he cut out weren't just ways of God that he didn't want to follow. They were God himself. Moses figured out, which might be the reason that Moses took to being the first one to write the first five books showing us the ways of God, because he knew that all he was doing was showing you God himself in doing so. And matter of fact, the truth is that I think we get into a debate in our world today that is so not helpful. Matter of fact, the only one who wins is probably the devil. One of the biggest questions and struggles we have sometimes is what do we do with that much of this Bible? What do we do with all of this Old Testament stuff and all of these Old Testament commands? What do we do with any of the stuff before Jesus? Because that was just God fussing at his people, but now that we have Jesus, we don't need any of this stuff. That's the law, that's the Old Testament commands. None of it matters to me in my life anymore. Let me explain something that hopefully will set you free and help you with your Christian walk in a way like nothing else has maybe if this is a struggle for you the word that we're talking about is righteous. Simply means right standing with God. Now I don't know about you, but if I have a choice between right standing with God or wrong standing with God, who wants to be in right standing with God? So the word is righteous. And the Old Testament commands were a way for God's people to be in right standing with God, to be righteous with Him. And he was making a very simple point. Because in the third chapter, at the very beginning, he told us, I'm going to send my son to save you. And he spent the rest of the time proving, you can't do this without me, so I'm going to do it for you. That's what all the Old Testament commands are about. And so the reality now that Jesus has come, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, his blood shed, anyone who calls upon his name is in right standing with God already. That means that there is nothing in here that you can do or not do that changes your standing with God if the blood of Jesus has washed you. Are y'all with me? You are righteous if Jesus is your king. And so a lot of people say, well then I can do absolutely anything I want. None of these rules matter. I even heard the pastor likes bacon. Following the rules to be righteous is not the point anymore. But what we have to understand is anything that God said in here, God's ways, how he wants things done and what matters to him is because it simply is him. It's a revelation of God himself. Like, let, let me give you an example. There are people who would say, well, you know, Jimmy, in the law is this whole idea of how to treat a Hebrew slave. Most of you would skip that page, because you would say, well, I'm not into the law, and I don't have a Hebrew slave. And I would say, so what? What it does reveal to us is how God feels about slavery and the mistreatment of people. You see, even though you don't have to follow that command, it still reveals who your God is. And that's why so many other things actually do matter. That's why tithing matters, because how God feels about being honored as your provider hasn't changed just because Jesus came. That's why lying matters, because how God feels about deception hasn't changed just because Jesus came. That's why moral purity matters, because how God feels about your body as his temple hasn't changed just because Jesus came. See, the reality is we cannot separate knowing God's ways from knowing him even when the world around us does. If we want to know God as fully as possible, then we've got to stop taking parts of it, ripping it out, and thinking it was just it. It's him. It's him that we're saying, I don't want to know that part of you, God. I don't want to know that part of you, God. I don't want to know that part of you, God. And after we've Cut out and thrown away and ignored half of this, we wake up and go, But God, I feel so lonely. Where are you, God? See, Moses figured it out and then wrote it down for you and me. God's ways are just God Himself. Matter of fact, could I demonstrate a little something for you? As I've studied for this series, as I've been Trying to spend, I've spent almost a year now just really reading from Exodus to Deuteronomy, trying to learn as much as I could about Moses. And I've listened to it on the audio Bible when I'm driving, when I'm flying and going places. And anytime my wife and I go somewhere, it's playing in the car. She's probably memorized half of this by now. It's just spent so much time trying to learn about Moses. I've been most intrigued and amazed by what I learned about God. You see, as I've studied God's ways, I've learned things about God. I just want to show you a couple of things just for the fun of it because what I want to do is inspire you to go and start to dig into God's ways so that you'll have some revelation and understanding of God himself. So I had a couple of light bulbs go off, just want to share with you. When Moses was called up the mountain and he's sitting there for 40 days and 40 nights and God does not speak for six days. And then God does speak to him. Who knows what the first thing is that God said to him? I don't know, but this kind of blew my mind. I just thought, wow, that says something about God. Again, he's already revealed the 10 commandments. He's already done amazing things. The burning bush has already happened. Going to Egypt and bringing them out has already happened. He comes up on the mountain, sits for six days and God looks at him and says, hey Moses, I want you to do something. wonder what it was. He says, Moses, I want you to take up an offering. What? What do, you want to, what do you want us to do with an offering in the middle of a desert? Well, God's actually going to tell them, but that's not the point. You see, the point is, it was just a little while ago that these people were penniless slaves for 400 years. And God says, I'm going to give so much favor on you when you leave Egypt. You will not leave empty-handed. You will leave weighed down with gold. I am going to supernaturally give you favor with your captors. He says, so I want you to go and ask them. It's a true story. And so you can imagine how it went down. Uh, Hi, I'm your slave neighbor next door, and I've decided to change jobs, and I'm going to be leaving. Could I have all your gold? It's in the Bible. And they said, absolutely, take it all. And so God says, first thing to Moses, I want you to take up an offering because it shows you who I am. See, this way It's just a revelation of me. I'm your provider. You don't have anything apart from me. Let me show you a second cool thing. And this one was really interesting to me because everybody argues about this one being part of the law all the time. Well, that's the law. I don't have to do it. That's the law. I don't have to do it. So after 40 days on the mountain, 34 days of God talking. Think about that. 34 days. God is just talking, telling Moses all these different things. How to worship him was the main thing. Just chapter after chapter after chapter of the ways that God's people were going to worship him. And then he ends Check this out. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all. Y'all put that on the screen for me. Above all. I don't know about you. God's already done the Ten Commandments. He's already delivered them from slavery. He's been talking to Moses on top of the mountain now. They've been there for 40 days. And he says, by the way, above all, last thing I'm gonna to say to you before I tell you they done made a golden calf and you gotta go down there because your people being stupid. Before I say that, the last important thing I want you to know. Do y'all think that what he's about to say is important? What do you think he said? Show him the verse. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. You shall keep my Sabbaths. See, we're the first people who lives in a 24-7 society. 23% of Americans all work on a Sunday. That's why we have a Thursday service. To say, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. That was the law. We don't, we're not Jewish. We can, we can mow our grass whenever we want. We can, we can work whenever we want. Because we, we know that Jesus said, look, the Sabbath wasn't made for man, man was made for the Sabbath. No, I'm sorry, I got the backwards. Man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. And so we think that gives us permission to say, oh, I don't have to worry about it. We miss what it's actually telling us because God tells him two things. Keep the Sabbath, not to be righteous and go to heaven, but keep the Sabbath because it tells you two things about me. God's ways always reveal him. First thing he says is I want you to know this is a sign. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you'll know that I am the Lord. I sanctify you. I'm the one who changes you. I'm the one who rescues you. I'm the one that answers your prayer. I'm the one that's going to make you like me. Keeping the Sabbath is simply revealing who I am. And he says, there's another sign, by the way. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he was rested and refreshed. We all argue about whether or not the six days were literal. We miss the point. When we honor the Sabbath, It's about showing that God is the creator. God's ways are just showing us who he is every single time. You see, when you and I work for six days and we take a day and say, okay, God, I'm going to honor the Sabbath, it is where we show the rest of this world that we're not the result of a mere biological process. We are the result of our God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You know, one of the reasons that maybe we struggle so much with showing God to our world is because of little things like this. We don't take... The thing that god said above all else seriously enough when people say well why don't you work that day of the week why, why do you take that day that's what jewish people do no, i do it because it's a sign that i believe in the creator of the heavens and earth is my god he's the one who saves me and sanctifies me that's what it means to me see all too often we're like i'm not under the law and i'm not tired god's ways are simply a revelation of himself And the more of his ways we ignore, the less of him we're going to know. And then I just thought this was the coolest one. One last one, the coolest one. Back to the burning bush. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Wow. And I just stopped. I mean, I I grew up going to church. I've heard this story since I was a kid. But for the first time, I just went, and I wrote in my journal, God is a contradiction to our understanding. This bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. I don't know about you, but if I set a bush on fire, I'm going to end up with a pile of ash. On top of that, I can't make the bush in the first place. God can make a bush, set it on fire, and have it unsinged when he's done. God is a contradiction to our understanding. And here's why that matters so much. Because we are constantly trying to define God, understand God, prescribe God. Well, God, here's my prayer. Here's what you're going to do. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to guess you're not listening. I'm going to redefine whether or not you're listening. Well, God, here's what I need you to do. If you don't do it, I'm going I'm to assume you don't love me. I'm going to redefine your love for me. Well, God, here's what I think of you. We Put God in something we call our understanding. And when God doesn't fit in that box called our understanding, we lose faith in him. The first thing we need to do is grasp what Moses did from his first encounter. I will never fully comprehend this God. Yet I will trust him. And yet I will obey him. Because in obeying him, I will actually know him. So I'm going to leave you with the question. Is your relationship with God transforming you? Are you different from who you were a year ago? Are you different from who you were when you met God? Are you different today than you were yesterday? Because you recounted God's power in your life, because you met with God, and because you knew him. I'm going to close with this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountains, mountain, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Moses got to such a point in his intimacy with God, in his face-to-face reality with God, that his face began to reflect God don't miss this. This is the very result of being transformed by God in our relationship with him is that we end up reflecting God to this world. And that's the kind of transformation we need because that's the kind of transformation this world cannot ignore. Amen. Let me pray for us. God how amazing you are. We just stand in awe and we say thank you for giving us comprehension, sight, vision, the ability to know you. While we know it's limited because we're human, we're the creation, God, we just thank you that you have shown us so much and you desire to show us so much more. So God, We ask you to continue to display your goodness, which is just you. Continue to display your power, which is just you. Continue to display your will, which is just you. Because we, well, we just wanna know you more deeply tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that, well, maybe this is your burning bush moment. Maybe this is where you have your first real encounter with God. It's where you realize you spent a lot of time knowing about God, or maybe just a little time. Today, I want you to know God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for you, so that his bloodshed would pay for your sins and remove any and every barrier between you and God, making you right with him. And then Jesus' resurrection would give you eternal life. This would be the beginning of you knowing God and an incredible life to come from this point forward. But if you have never had that moment, I want to help you have that right now. Would you simply say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?